Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, we have a great show lineup for today. Um, as usual, you know, I mean, we're we're, we're going to talk about uh, student loan debt. Yeah, it's a uh, it's an ep- it's a crisis. Uh, there's a uh, 1.5 trillion dollars in uh, student loan debts tripled since 2005. Um, <clears throat> you know, it it is it impacts individuals, and uh, you need to listen to this very carefully, even if you're not in college, so you can impart some wisdom on um, your kids or grandkids or even great grandkids out there because this is a problem. Yeah, and you need to you need to have a plan for how to get an education and not have to incur that much debt. And there are ways to do it. There are. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So that's the positive side of this. And another another, another kind of negative that we're going to try to turn into a positive is common senior scams. You know, there are a lot of scams out there, and we talk about these from time to time, but they really target seniors now. They're they're very vulnerable. Um, so, you know, a lot of us have elderly parents that are, you know, they're subject to this. So, um, you need to be aware of them. You need to educate them about that. So we're going to talk about some of the common senior scams that are out there and how to avoid those. But, um, before we jump into that though, um, my name is Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and I'm a Dave Ramsey smart investor pro with over 23 years experience of providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcast up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website. It's moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast on there. And uh, we also have a lot of videos and tools on the website, as well as a Facebook page that we post a, uh, a video on a weekly basis. And our Twitter handle is moneymd. Yeah, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us your questions directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from from Barron's, and, and Steve, kind of like most analysts, didn't pick the, the Tigers <laughs> to <laughs> no, beat Alabama. No, they didn't. Right? <laughs> they didn't. <laughs> That's not quite how the Tigers sound, <laughs> John, as they devoured the Gamecocks this year. And and the Tide and everybody else that's, they, they that's touch. Right. So. That's right. But, um, you know, it's interesting because if you looked at um, 2018, you know, the stock market was down for 2018, and not a single analyst in, uh, in 2017 predicted that. That's right. All 10 analysts of the major corporations, you know, that, that do this predicted, predicted po- higher. Positive returns. That's right. So... When you're making decisions based on headlines, don't do it. Yeah, that's right. They predicted 0 to 16% returns for all 10 analysts of the major Wall Street firms, and the actual return for the S&P was minus 4%, so they missed it grossly. And, of course, the broader market was down much more than that. The broader market was down 15%, you know, when you diversified, you know, when you look at all the asset classes on average. So... Point is, you can't time it. Even the experts have no way of knowing or even guessing. They usually miss it dramatically, like they did last year. Yeah, they typically uh, say mm-hmm. it's going to be up. But, you know, we know historically from the statistics and just, you know, looking back at the past, 25% of the stock market years are down. I mean, that's a fact. That's and right. So you got to plan and build a process around that to make sure that when it does happen, it doesn't just 
crush your plans. And it's very unpredictable. <clears throat> no way to avoid it. Um, even out of these 10 top analysts, none of them predicted a down market last year. So don't try to diversify. Have a great portfolio at the risk level you're comfortable with. Plan on the down years, ride through them, and look to the long term because that's the way to be successful as an investor. All right. With that said, that leads us right up to our first topic here about uh, student loan debt. Yeah, there's a new uh, report that came out Mm -hmm. recently. Uh, This is an article out of Forbes, uh, Diana Hembree. And uh, just kind of goes through some statistics here, and uh, we'll give you some solutions at the end of it. But uh, there's an example of a guy named Sean, a student loan borrower. Um, He uh, found that his student loan debt had forced him and his wife to really put their lives on hold uh, year after year. Um, Student debt, he said, has been difficult for his marriage, and uh, they're both working to pay off the debts. Um, They're waiting to have children, and they're waiting to buy a home because of the combined student is more than a mortgage on a home. And this debt has been really a huge burden, point of contention um, for their marriage over the last 10 years. And he often imagined what life would look like if they weren't imprisoned by the amount of debt that they have. Now, it doesn't say how much they had, but we see this frequently, people coming in here with significant um, amounts of debt. He was one of about 7,000 borrowers who participated in a 50-state survey um, that was a national research study by uh, on this, um, this the crisis in the 2018. Um, you know there was a nonprofit organization called Student Debt Crisis that put this out, and I mentioned it in the in the intro. 1.5 trillion dollars is the amount of student loan debt. It's tripled since 2005, and the new report really examines the toll and the 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 financial stress and uh, the relationship stress on the borrowers out there. And it's, this is an epidemic now. It really is a problem. Yeah, it's a growing <laughs> problem. Um, according to the survey, the average borrower owed about $87,500 in debt, <clears throat> but made an average of only $60,000. Um, you know, the average student loan debt nationwide is lower um, with students of the class of 2016 carrying an average of $37,000 in debt. So I guess the average total debt included maybe car loans as well. But um, still, I mean, it's just it's just an epidemic. That's a huge amount of debt for a young person that's just getting out of college to to try to grapple with. And it's a it's a terrible way to get started in your in your financial life. Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of borrowers are postponing marriages. You know, they're not buying homes. Uh, They're putting off life decisions indefinitely. And uh, this one person said they uh, contemplate selling everything, living in a car to help free up the money to pay off the debt sooner. And uh, she had to put off having children. And, um, you know, and so there's a lot of cost associated with, with student loan uh, debt. And uh, Natalie Abrams, who's a, an executive director at the Student Debt Crisis Center, says that they hear these stories all the time and they actually get people who are struggling so much that they're con- they're considering committing suicide. Um, mm. So this is uh, this is you know tough stuff, and uh, these are not people who who are you know try to get rich quick. They're they're not looking for a handout. They're just you know they're burdened now with a lot of student loan debt. Yeah, that's right. They say you know the student loan debt has had a disastrous domino effect for millions of Americans. Um, you know the reality of the day to day crisis is staggering. The average borrower <clears throat> has under a thousand dollars in savings. cannot save anything for retirement, you know, early in their career. Um, You know, they're not just asking young people 
Um, they're not just talking about young people. You know, they, they mentioned many borrowers who are in their 60s that are still trying to pay off student loans <clears throat> and are worried that they'll never have enough to retire because they can't even really get started on their retirement savings. Um, so the study found the student loan debt interfere with people's <clears throat> plans for marriage, families, leading to 19% of the respondents delaying getting married and 26% to put off having children. So that's one of the contributors to to young couples having children at a later age. That's right. And and student debt has also cast a shadow for, uh, over everything from financial security to uh, for philanthropy. I mean, the the debt, 80% of borrowers are not saving for retirement, 56 uh, not able to buy a home, 42% not buying cars, 50% not contributing to, to charity. So more than 85% said student loan debt was a major source of stress. And one in three said that debt is the biggest stress in their lives. So we're going to rattle off some stats here. Uh, nearly nine in 10 student loan borrowers, they're struggling to make payments. Uh, one in five reports they can't make the next loan payment. And um, 44% said it would be a struggle. A lot of borrowers have less than $1,000 in their bank account. Um, you know, 58% of borrowers have taken a hit to their credit. 10% failed a credit check for a job interview. And uh, 13% failed a credit check for an apartment. So it's, these are, these are it's affecting a lot of different areas. Yeah, that's right. Six <clears> percent <throat> um, of borrowers borrowers had their Social Security payments or wages seized. Um, so it's a small percentage, but it's still that's a dramatic step, you know, because they couldn't make their student loan debts. Eighteen percent report being in default on at least one student loan. Um, you know, and this is the same percentage of borrowers federal agencies show are in default in the United States, 18% or 8 million out of 44 million people. So that's a huge number of, you know, percentage of people mm -hmm. to be in default on a loan. Yeah. <clears throat> One in three borrowers report that their student loan bill is higher than their rent or mortgage bill. Wow. 33%. Nearly 40% of borrowers said they've been un unable to achieve their career goals. Um, I mean, these survey results reveal that student loan borrowers, they're on thin ice. A lot of them, and a lot of them are falling through without a, a lifeline. Um, so, uh, you know, there is, there are some organizations out there um, to, to, to help. Um, millions of Americans face financial calamity with this. And, uh, you know, it's not only financial stress, but it's relationship stress as well. Yeah, and to make things worse, you know, a troubling number of student loan companies have been prosecuted for predatory practices such as abusive loan terms or convincing the borrower to accept an unfair term through deception or coercion. Coercion, um, You know, according to the report, nearly 60 percent of borrowers reported that their loan servicer has given them confusing or unhelpful advice about their loans. A quarter of the respondents had uh, confronted a surprise additional, had been confronted with a surprise additional fee from their servicing company. 57% had experienced unexpected demands of a sudden change in, in the, the servicer. Or, and then there was another 42% that had trouble negotiating a change to the repayment plan when they had financial hardships. So, you know, it just, there's a whole host of problems that come with being saddled with student loan debt. Yeah, apparently um, uh, there's about every 28 seconds, there's another borrower that defaults on the student loan. And and so this is a crisis. So let's let's kind of switch a little bit and, and talk about, <clears throat> you know, the reasons for it maybe a little bit and also how to, you know, how to, f how to fix this. I mean, I think the reasons are, um, they you know, the, the colleges have a monopoly mm -hmm. on, uh, you know, the cost associated with it. And they people... Do. 
unfortunately, are getting into majors um, that require graduate degrees that don't have very large pay when it comes out, which means you need to do some planning and some research before you go and get a degree. Yeah, you need to make sure you get an effective degree that you know that you'll get a good job with, that there's plenty of availability out there, that you're going to make enough money to warrant the, the expenses that you have of college. Uh, you need to make sure that you don't, you know, take on additional debt. I mean, go locally for a couple of years and mm-hmm. then transfer somewhere. <clears throat> you know, it's the same degree, but you save a ton of money. Um, you know, look at online alternatives. You know, I mean, if you get a nursing degree, I mean, does it really matter that much where the degree is from? I mean, I'm sure there are some degrees, uh, there's some levels of pay, but mm-hmm. if you can get a nursing degree from an online institution and get it for half the price, you know, and stay at home while you're doing it, um, you know, that's probably worth worth looking at. Yeah. There's some other things. Uh, dual enrollment while you're in high school, taking some college classes. There's something called CLEP. It's college-level exam prep. You can take those online. There's like 30 classes much cheaper. Um, so there are ways that you can graduate in four years. You, your your son or daughter or granddaughter or grandson can work part of the time. I mean, if you start planning on this, there are ways to get through college without any debt. And we see people doing it. Um, <clears throat> most people don't, don't do it, but many people do. And there are some steps that you can take. So a very, very uh, important topic. We, we see this a lot and certainly are passionate about uh, teaching and educating on this. Absolutely. I mean, I do wish that the, the university system was reformed a little bit so that they would you know, allow more competition, open up more competition for online education. It really should be a lot cheaper than it is. You know, they shouldn't charge the same amount for online class as they mm-hmm. do for, you know, a credit that you're attending in person. You know, they should be able to handle thousands of people in an online class. Um, but, you know, oncologists kind of have a, a, a lock on this and you know, kind of a monopoly and uh, on the degree process as well. I wish the government would get involved and would uh, kind of break up the monopolies there and allow more competition to bring down prices to open the availability for better education for everybody, a lot lower price. But until then, you need to deal with the debt issues and, and you need to make sure you're getting an effective education and just make smart choices on the front end. So yeah, take some planning. It, it it takes some work. You have to be intentional about that as well. Absolutely. So great topic. Okay, that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, the question is: is Should I save more than fifteen percent for retirement? In general, that's a good level. Um, I mean, there you may there may be cases that you need to make up some time. If you're in your 40s and 50s and haven't saved, you may need to bump that up to 20 or 25%. But we do see couples coming in that are young that are saving more than 15%. And sometimes it creates a a relationship issue because uh, the other spouse, um, while they know that saving is important, um, you can save too much. I mean, there needs to be some money going towards, you know, some other priorities. Maybe it's college, maybe it's paying down the house, and things like that. So 15% is a generally a good target. And, um, you know, there are some other priorities that you have to think about if you have that 15% going in that you need to maybe divert some of that money towards. Yeah, there needs to be some balance in your life, of course, you know, and I think people saving too too much is usually a result of not enough information. They don't have enough confidence to know they're saving enough. So they just want to keep adding to it and they're trying to deny, you know, their their spouse and their family maybe some of the other priorities that they should be looking at and and spending money on as well. So the answer to that is to have a plan. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do a retirement plan, 
and you know how much you need to save to live the kind of lifestyle you want to have in retirement. And once you're meeting those goals and you're saving enough, um, then you're freed up to to feel good about spending money on other things, you know, taking a vacation occasionally mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, <clears throat> saving for, you know, college and saving for the other priorities in your life. So um, you can save too much. You just want to have a plan and make sure you're saving the right amount. And that's really the key. So good topic. That leads us up here, though, to our, our uh, next topic, and that is common senior scams. Um, this is a, based on an article out of credit.com by McCall Robinson. And, um, you know, John, I mean, um, this is a real, this is a real problem out there. Older adults lose more than $36 billion a year to financial scams, according to a recent study. And unfortunately, the con artists, you know, they see the elderly population as a very vulnerable target in, and with our clients, we have seen a number of clients that have fallen victim mm-hmm. to scams where they've been scammed out of tens of thousands of dollars. Um, so it's not it's not unusual at all. Certainly not with the accounts here, but right? With no, things no, that not their, their local bank or bank. They've just <clears throat> been talked into sending money places, sending money in, right? Or giving out their information, their credit card numbers. You know, it's a very common thing. No, I mean we. we we take, you know, intense precautions on our accounts here, as do most financial institutions. It's people that are willingly giving mm-hmm. money, right. willingly sending money that, you know, is where the scam originates. The American Securities Administrator Association says that scammers take uh, the approach towards seniors because elderly populations, one of the wealthiest they've seen in you know, they have healthy retirement savings. Um, so it's one of the wealthiest retirement you know, communities in history. And, uh, you know, I mean, where the money goes, the, the con artists will follow. And also, you know, it's, it's now a lot easier with the Internet and online banking and email. You know, there's a lot of ways to lead in. There's a lot more information available about seniors and about their families with social media <clears throat> that give the scammers an in to, you know, calling you and pretending that, you know, they know something about you. So, um, you know, with so many scams targeting older adults, it's essential to make sure that yourself and your loved ones are aware of the different types of cons that are out there. So here's a list of some common financial scams that target elderly folks, you know, maybe your parents, maybe your grandparents. And um, so you need to be aware of these and know what to look for and know how to help prevent them and and help protect your family. Yeah, the first one here is uh, uh, the grandparent scam, and it it really appeals to the emotions of the the senior. And the scammers get the phone number, uh, and they call pretending to be a grandchild and uh, making their life seem more believable. The con con artist will playfully ask the older adult, to guess what grandchild is calling. And of course, the reaction is most likely um, for the senior to name a grandchild, and then the scammer can easily play along, acting like, yeah, they guessed it right. So now the grandparent thinks they're talking to the grandchild, and that's a problem. Yeah, it definitely <clears throat> is. Yeah, the scam artist will then begin to confide in the grandparent, you know, saying they're in a tough financial position um, or they're having some kind of crisis <clears throat> and they need the grandparents' help. And then they'll ask them to send money, you know, by Western Union or a MoneyGram, and they'll plead for the grandparent not to tell anybody. And if the grandparent complies and sends the money, then the scammer is likely going to contact the the uh, the senior again and ask for more money. 
in the future. Um, and I could tell you that, you know, Kathy's mom has had, has had somebody do this, try this before on them. And fortunately, you know, she, uh, picked up on it. She wisely picked up on what they were doing. Um, she asked them some probing questions instead, you know, and then eventually they hung up. Um, mm-hmm. so she caught them in the act, but yeah, I mean, this is really common. This is not that unusual. So, so how do you avoid this scam? Well, for, first of all, of course, you never send money to anyone unless you're a hundred percent sure that, you know, it's the right person, <clears throat> you know, that it is your family. And, you know, the scammers can find out quite a bit of information from social media or other methods nowadays. So don't think just because they have a little bit of information or a couple pieces of information that it's really your family. You know, you have to verify that it's actually your grandchild on the phone. You need to text them or call them back directly on their phone. Um, you know, verify the number, verify that it's him or her. Um, call the parent of the supposed grandchild and find out if the grandchild's really in trouble and where they're really at. Um, cause they're probably not wherever they say they are at the moment. Um, and so, you know, you need to check it out. Don't, don't believe the confidentiality part of it. Somebody needs to be aware. The parent needs to be aware anyway. So talk to your family members now and, and compile a list of questions that only you and your family know the answers to. And if a family emergency really happens, you know, you need to ask the questions to know if it's your family member, you know, based on the answers to those questions. So ask them really probing questions, you know, ask them some things out of the, you know, experiences, memories, where you took vacation together, when you were last together. Ask some questions that only they would know mm-hmm. for sure. And, you know, don't don't fall victim to, you know, somebody just claiming to be, you know, one of your grandchildren. Yeah, that's right. That's sad. Um, another one here on the list is uh, claim your prize now. You have won the sweepstakes. They'll uh, phone <laughs> call or email and tell tell them they've won something, and whether it's a sum of money or some other type of prize. And in order to claim the prize, the scammers tell them they have to pay a fee. And once the senior agrees, the scammers will send a fake check, and the check's not going to you know amount to anything. But they've already paid the fee, and so um, you know it's exciting. You won a prize. Just send me a uh, hundred bucks. It doesn't have to be a big number, but you know, um, this happens often. It does. It does. And they'll be sending you a check that you can deposit in your bank and it looks good for a couple of days until the bank, do, until it doesn't clear. So, you know, and then they'll want their fee. So you just can't, I mean, this, this happened. I, mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, you know, that you would fall for that because we all get these emails now that, you know, are just so numerous that, uh, it's, yeah. it's almost, laughable yeah, you know, when, you, when you get it you know i mean you can read the title and you know what it is and you just delete it right well you know this really does happen and people do fall for it and um you know we had i had a client here recently in the last few years that fell for this and and you know sent out more like ten thousand dollars wow out of the bank account <clears throat> um you know falling for these scams and they thought they had won you know a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars or some big number um, so, you know, the key here is, you know, don't give out any financial information on the phone or email. Um, you know, practice Internet safety by protecting your passwords, shopping on encrypted websites, avoiding phony emails. Be skeptical on any message that says you randomly won a prize or, you know, you need to do something before you claim it. You know, unless you've specifically entered a contest, then you're not going to win some random plot monetary prize. It just doesn't happen out there. So educate your seniors you know in your life that that you know these these 
these prize money out there, these games that are lotteries or whatever they claim they've won are, are fake. Mm-hmm. They're, they're almost, they're pretty much 100% fake. That's the bottom line. You know, unless you played the state lottery or something, you know, it's, it's fake. Anything you see on the news, so, or anything that comes through email, um, you know, if somebody calls and says you've won something, it's not true. So just make them be aware of that. Um, next one here, though, is the Medicare scam. You know, because seniors are over age 65 and they qualify for Medicare, scam artists, they don't have to do much research about the seniors' health care providers. You know, and this makes it simpler for scammers to call, email, or even visit seniors' homes personally and claim to be a Medicare representative. Um, all they have to know is that you're over age 65 and they know you're on Medicare, right? And that's available on the Internet for pretty much anybody, what your age is. Um, so it's not <clears throat> hard at all. And, you know, there are a variety of ways, though, these con artists use Medicare, the Medicare scam to target the elderly. One way is by telling the senior that they need a new Medicare card. And to do so, they need to, the Medicare representative tells them that they need their Social Security number. And another way, of course, is, you know, they can tell the seniors that there's a fee that they need to pay in order to continue to receive their benefits. Mm-hmm. So it's unfortunate, but they, they they do this pretty often. Yeah, you're right. And 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 the way to avoid it is kind of like the other ones: be skeptical, ask a lot of information. I mean, a, a Medicare worker should have your information on file, so you can do some probing questions again. Um, and uh, don't make a decision or give anything on the spot. If someone asks you something, you can go and talk to another loved one in your family and see if it's real, and maybe have them call back to uh, to help you vet it. Yeah, and don't give them any information because they're already going to have your date of birth and your Social Security number, right. so they shouldn't be asking for that. That's kind of like the IRS calling and asking for your Social Security number. Oh, they had that. You know, <laughs> they have all your information, so forget that. Um, all right, well, the next scam here is called the Woodchuck Scam. Um, interesting name. You know, it's a common scam to target seniors who live alone. Um, it's called the Woodchuck Scam. Well, scam artists will claim to be contractors. And they'll complete house projects if the seniors agree to them. So the scammers will try to gain the seniors' trust and eventually come up with a variety of fake repairs that need to be done, such as a roof repair or replacing some rotting wood. Um, Then they'll do little or no work and grossly overcharge for the repair. And often the seniors will, you know, give the fake contractors thousands of dollars. So... Um, yeah, that's pretty common. You know, my grandmother had that happen to her a time or two when somebody came up trying to do repairs around their house. So, um, you know, so the, how to avoid this, make sure the person that doing your home repairs is a professional, you know, they should have a website, they should have a business card, you know, find out what company they work for, call and verify that, that they're indeed a legitimate contractor, but better yet, don't agree to anything on the spot for repairs you know Mm -hmm. get bids from multiple companies get a second opinion don't agree to any kind of repair to your house on the spot yeah another scam here steve is a is a mortgage scam they're using uh, senior home ownership to their benefit the mortgage scam is when a scammer offers a property assessment to seniors telling them they can determine the value of their home and this scam has become increasingly popular as housing confidence is is hitting record highs and people are putting a large chunk of their you know income towards saving for new homes. So um, again, you got to be careful with this one. Yeah, the scam artists, they make the process look legitimate by finding the home's information on the internet, you know, sending the seniors an official letter detailing, 
you know, some of the information they found, like, you know, the, the, the property taxes and that sort of stuff that's all available on the Internet anyway. Um, and the scammers will do this, you know, because it's an easy way to con seniors into paying a fee um, for, you know, some kind of evaluation um, on their house. So to avoid this scam, ensure that property assessment is legitimate by asking the company who they work for and, you know, follow up with the rental of the real estate company to verify it. But don't pay for an appraisal, you know, on your property until you really have to. And it's been ordered by your real estate agent or your mortgage broker related to a sale. Don't just randomly, you know, accept somebody's offer to to do some type of, um, you know, appraisal on your home. You know, and talk to your loved ones. I mean, older adults are, are too embarrassed often to tell the authorities or family members they've been scammed. So talk to your seniors in your life. Let them know they can confide in you. Let them know that they, you know, if they've been let to ask them to let you know if they've been scammed. And, uh, you know, I mean, just check in on them regularly and uh, check your credit regularly and encourage them to do that as well so that you're aware of any suspicious activity on your accounts. But, you know, these are just many, just some, a few of the many, many scams that are out there. So you just have to be diligent and continue to to kind of uh, reinforce that to your your elderly parents that they need to be skeptical and bring you in and get you involved on any type of decision like that. Good topic. Okay, and that brings us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. And we talked about this a little bit in the in the question of the week last week, but uh, to make the right decision to retire, uh, you've got to match up your your targeted income, um, you know, from your retirement plan that looks at pension, Social Security, maybe rentals and investments, and you have to match it up with a budget. That's really the only way that you're going to make a confident decision. So it takes a little bit of homework on your side. You got to go through. You're spending and, and know what you're spending on cable and telephone and groceries and gas. And you've got to come up with, hey, this is the amount that, that I have to have to live. Maybe it's 3000 a month and I want to have another 2000 a month uh, discretionary income. Um, so, you know, that target is, you know, 5000 or 60000 You can gross it up for taxes. So maybe 70000 is is your targeted income, but you won't make a good decision or feel comfortable with it anyway until you do that exercise. That's right. And, you know, the shortcut to that is to take your net, your net deposit every month to your checking account and, you know, back off anything you're saving from that, that's actually going to savings. And if you're not saving it, then you're spending it. That's right. And that's your standard living. So that's the amount of income you probably need. So and, but you got to do some planning. Yeah, one way you can do that is a budget. And you can gamify your budget like we talked about last week and dress up meow, like a cat <laughs> or a dog. Right? That's right. Yeah. So make it fun. John. Make it fun. Make a game out of it. <laughs> you know. Uh, no, nah, just just do the homework, you know. <laughs> just just – Keep it to uh, keep it to every dollar, right? Keep it you simple. You don't need to dress yeah. up for Mint. budgets. Mint.com. You don't have to dress up and play a cat and mouse game, <laughs> right? Okay. Good enough. Well, that brings us to a close this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one.
This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Daniel Associates, a registered investment advisor.